Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to another episode of Please Bet on Football Games, an early week episode where we actually talk about watching football games. I'm Joe. You might know me as BMADFTS on Twitter, the keeper of the real. And this is my co-host, Alex. Happy to be back, Joe. I, you might know me as I underscore like underscore sports six. Yeah, Joe. So this week started off a little rough for us. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was getting ready to sit in the fetal position for all of Sunday night uh, after that first slate of games. Remember, we, we got bailed out a little in that second slate. And looks like we both ended up positive. The pod picks did it as well. You want to go and give us a little summarization of some of those games? Yeah, this was uh, this was pretty nerve wracking because it was one of the first times I've ever given out picks so publicly. You know, I've been betting for five years like a madman, but I never have to tell anybody. So if I have a bad week, you just bury those feelings deep and try to reset for next week. So we had bet on three early games on the pod. Uh, but at, at a certain point, we were texting each other. All three weren't looking so good. We had Tennessee over Arizona. Yikes. We had Minnesota over Cincinnati. Not as yikes. And we had the Chargers over Washington. And at one point, I thought all three were going to lose. And I was, I was almost apoplectic. It was, it was really emotional. And we ended up going one for three on those. The Chargers ended up pulling out the, the pick'em win over Washington. Minnesota and Tennessee did fail us. But then as the day went on, we got hot. We had Denver minus two and a half over the Giants. That one was a no doubter. As I spoke about for over a month, we had New Orleans over Green Bay, both money line and catching four and a half. Both of those hit absolute no doubters. And we added Miami over New England Sunday morning because the line got steamed up all the way to three and a half. And if you're going to give us the field goal and the hook in a game we already thought was going to be low scoring, Let's do it. So all of those hit, meaning that our Sunday total, the bets that we actually gave out, the the widely available ones, we bet seven units and we made a profit of 3.39 units for a 71.43 win percentage. I'll take that to start. Yeah, 100%. And especially with how it was looking after that first slate of games, going positive at all, I would have been thrilled with, let alone coming out with actually making a little bit of change at least as far as the pod picks go i'm elated yeah and i've I've heard some confusion on twitter about hey didn't you guys have parlays on the buccaneers yes we did and we spoke about them but i can't first of all if the buccaneers won by three and i said oh yeah we got the bucks pick right they won by three we covered the two and a half alt line all of you guys would be saying who gives a fuck the line was 7.5 it's irrelevant so obviously it's not a very relevant bet. We also parlayed it with things that happened before we had even recorded the pod. It's just not really fair. So you want to throw in another two and a half units that we lost on, or that I personally lost on that. Cause I don't even know if you bet on any of those, Alex. I didn't, I didn't bet on any of them. I didn't have anything on Tampa besides a money line part of a parlay. Yeah. So that that's not relevant at all. Uh, but this is where we can get into the fact that, Believe it or not, Alex and I do make our own bets outside of the podcast. Uh, we both post our entire spread. We use similar spreadsheets that I designed to track what we do, and we post them on Twitter. I ended up after Monday Night Football betting on the Raiders on a whim, going plus seven hundred and seventy-nine dollars and seventeen cents, which is a decent profit of five and a half percent ROI, especially considering I only hit forty-five and a half percent of my bets. But that's what happens when you throw $1,000 on the Saints catching plus 175 money line. How did you do? Yeah, definitely. I uh, It was funny when I saw your sheet because we pretty much made the same money margin-wise. Uh, just we have a little bit different units. But I came out uh, plus 0.376 units on the week, which, again, not much, but given – Given what it was looking like early, I'm more than happy with. Uh, definitely had a little bit of a snafu early on with my bets, thinking I was going to put down more money than I did. So some of my units were a little messed up that brought me down a little bit. But overall, I'm happy. 
Similarly, I completely forgot to bet on Miami plus three and a half. And then once the game started, that line was nowhere to be found, which is why I threw a thousand dollars on Cleveland money line live. And I wish I didn't. That's a pretty big swing. But you know what? The real important thing is that I gave out the winner to the listeners and my mistake be damned. We still made it out. All right. Yeah. And, you know, the listeners who we really care about here. So your uh, your individual loss on the what some may call a desperation play is uh, not relevant for the for this pod. With that said, Joe, would you like to join me in a quick moment of silence for a fallen Twitter user? Let us pray. All right, Joe, you took a big step forward with this person. You want to go ahead and give us the rundown? Yeah, unfortunately, here lies the Twitter account of one Ezekiel Yoder, followers 10, following more than that. Uh, the sole member of a Black Amish clan in Red Dead Redemption 2 Online. The great bio. Uh, I don't know how he found us, but he really loved us, and he really loved being schizophrenic without his meds. He filled our mentions, especially mine, nearly daily, bitching about Lord knows what for Lord knows what reasons, using words that theoretically make sense together, but in totality mean nothing. Every day, 10 to 30 tweets a day. And today I'd had enough because apparently recording a podcast where you speak about the bets you're going to make and then making a corresponding spreadsheet about the bets you made and then posting screenshots of your actual Bovada account Knowing that you made the bets and the money, this is not enough for him. And at a certain point, it was clear that either he is one of the world's most disciplined trolls or truly unwell. And uh, unfortunately, he has been blocked. You know, a truly sad moment. All right, Joe, so we can jump into the first segment of our weekly review, which is called Fuck You Pay Me. Fuck You Pay Me. Now, this is a segment where we will talk about our big hits from the week before anything that we predicted that's come to fruition. There are specific people we've talked about or disagreed with that we've turned out to be right. We're going to mention it here. It's your one-stop shop for vindication, pettiness, and general dunking. Incredible. It's why you come to this podcast. Joe, you want to take us away with the first part, the New Orleans Saints beating the brakes off of the Green Bay Packers. Get ready for some desecration of a corpse because seconds after we've laid him to rest, I'm here to absolutely fucking posterize our boy Zeke Yoder. Zeke Yoder spent a good five to 10 hours of his weekend trying to convince Alex and I that Jameis Winston absolutely fucking sucks because LOL, he threw 30 picks. Can't you watch this YouTube video? And despite Alex and I saying we didn't mind, he did not stop. And then Jameis did not stop throwing touchdowns all up and down that field in Jacksonville, torching the Packers. And did Jameis play great? No. But did Jameis need to play great? No, because he's got Sean Payton and he can throw down the field. So Sean Payton's a kid in a fucking candy shop. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers on the other sideline played like absolute donkey dick and not in the cool Mexican way. So fuck you, pay me about 2.7 units right there. Awesome. Yeah, it's always an incredible feeling when you get to see the biggest prediction you make, because I know that was one you've been hammering all offseason. You've been telling me about this bet since draft time, probably. And it hit in miraculous or glorious fashion. Rather, I, I would have killed at least seven people just to see this bet hit in in any manner. Like I would have been OK with losing the money line, barely eking out the cover breaking just about even on this bet and not embarrassing myself. But for the Saints to just absolutely wallop the Packers the way they did, aside from the Bears fan inside of me, just jumping for joy over a Packers blowout loss, the egotist inside of me is currently throwing a fucking Mardi Gras party. Oh, it was incredible. Again, not to keep jumping on the bad first slate, but coming out a little rough, spirits were low. And then New Orleans jumped on him immediately and came out to a 14-point lead pretty quick in that game. Maybe it seemed faster because I was engulfed in the Browns game. But I pretty quickly felt pretty safe about that bet. And since it was the biggest one I made, I was I, I 
went to feeling safer about the week in general right away. And exactly as you said, with how much we've talked about this one, I could have lost just about every other bet, even lost a little bit of money on the week. But with this one hitting, would have felt at least somewhat validated because this was the one that we listed as cannot miss. You have to bet this compared to a lot of the other ones that we're either making even after the pod or while we were talking during the episode. You said a couple of words there. I have to bet this. And I said those exact same words about another game that you didn't agree with me on. Yeah, uh, we, we had a little bit of back and forth last week about the Atlanta Falcons and the Philadelphia Eagles. I know you were high on the Falcons talking about Arthur Smith's offense. That defense is, has some players that should be able to stress an offense a little bit. Uh, I don't know ex- what the final score came out to be, but I think it was something like 32 to six. And some of that was garbage time. The Falcons are pushing and the Eagles were able to capitalize on stuff, but the Falcons had no answer for the running game that the Eagles had between Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. Additionally, Jalen threw the ball pretty well. He ended up with three touchdowns uh, with a couple of nice throws. And yeah, the, the Eagles, they boat raced them. They were, they were in command of that game the entire time. I don't want to step on you too much, but kind of everything I said of that defense being way too thin and not having the size to, to put up with any run game kind of was exactly what the Eagles did. And it came true. I, again, I didn't bet on Philly because I still don't think they're a very good team. And this was just two bad teams battling it out. But yeah, it definitely wasn't the Falcons day. Yeah, that leads us perfectly to our next segment brought to you by Jim Calhoun, which will be called I Fucked Up. I don't know what else I can say. And if you want me to say I fucked up, I fucked up. Right. I fucked up. I bet on the Falcons. I did it again. I think it's like my fourth straight year of fucking up by betting on the Falcons. You told me exactly what would happen. The Falcons just wouldn't be able to stand up to a decent rushing attack. Dean Peace does not a great defense make all on his lonesome. And frankly, I expected a lot more from Art Smith. Once they got off script, so once their first 15 offensive plays ran out, the Falcons looked absolutely lost and terrified. Their offensive line was terrible. I thought it would be okay. You were right. I was wrong. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. Uh, You're very good looking. I'm not attractive. The other thing we fucked up on is that we kind of, we trusted the Titans. You know, this is, this is another team that we've been burned on for years. And I think the, it used to be the Falcons for two years where we lost every time we bet on the Falcons often in crushing fashion with some backdoor cover or they would lead a comeback to cover and then blow it at the last second. And then the last probably year or so, I think that team has shifted to the Titans. And I don't know if it's Mike Vrabel just has some internal hate for us, but I swear we bet on them five, six times in the last season. And we've won like one of those bets. And so I think we need to go back to instituting the the old rules that we've had over the last four years of no betting on the Falcons and no betting on the Titans. Yeah, I I now don't get me wrong. Ryan Tannehill didn't play very good. The offensive line for, for the Titans did not play very well either. Derrick Henry was fucking awful. But I realized about two drives into this game, holy shit, I bet on the Titans. And there's not one area of a football game in which the Titans are even close to subpar. They're terrible. They're, they're called, their defenses are terrible because Vrabel is a bad defensive coordinator despite his reputation, always has been, always will be. Their offense is now being run by Todd Downing, who is of fame because he once drove Derek Carr's Raiders into the fucking ground going a million miles an hour. He likes to throw the ball short never invent an aggressive or downfield pass and run halfback dive. Even when Derrick Henry is averaging one yard per carry, they keep running halfback dive. So there's just really no reason. There's absolutely no area of the coaching staff that the Titans are even close to below average. It's abysmal across the board. It is the worst coaching in the NFL by so far. 
if any of their star players have even a moderately bad day, they're completely fucked. And oh yeah, Kingsbury called a decent game and Kyler played pretty well for once. He had some real, I mean, it was still a lot of boom and bust, a lot of famine or feast, but he feasted often enough that he put this game out of reach in the second quarter. Yeah, he was, I know generally we're lower on Kyler because we don't trust him as a passer all that much, but he was great. He was he was throwing the ball all over. He was using his legs and playing that perfect backyard football style, but his arm was still accurate enough that he was really making Tennessee pay for it. And then, yeah, you're right. The, the defense is horrible. I thought they were going to be better this year. I liked some of the moves they made. I thought their DBs were going to be much improved. And they may be later in the year after they play together a little bit more, but they were really bad. Just the entire defense was really bad. And with the O-line taking a step back, losing some players the last couple of years, and now this conservative offensive play caller, you can't have that liability of a defense. And yeah, they they look like they, they might be in some serious trouble as a team and are a team that I will not be, uh, not be even entertaining the lines of for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I'm stepping away from the Titans, and I I must say, I thought their defense would be better because I really like Christian Fulton, and he played really well at times. But I kind of forgot that Janoris Jenkins is completely and utterly washed. He was abused like a rag doll in the mouth of a Rottweiler all fucking day. It was terrible. I felt bad watching, because like the announcers were talking about how he likes to be called Jackrabbit instead of Janoris while he's getting just absolutely fucking torched every other snap and i legitimately felt embarrassed for it uh, that's all i got we fucked up on these two let's move on all right joe so we can look back at the games from this week go through and uh, talk about any of the main storylines came out of them or if we bet on them kind of how that played out for us so first off we can start with the thursday night game the opener of the nfl season the Cowboys at the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers ended up winning 31 to 29. The Buccaneers are so talented on offense that even when they're coached like absolute fucking shit, they can still put up 31 and they can still basically win any game. Their defense is not very good, but it probably won't matter. That said, I'm never fucking laying three and a half with them or th- maybe even three. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much to talk about in this game. The Dallas offense looked explosive. Their defense is going to be a liability. I think they'll be pretty similar to last year, just a little bit better because Dak is better than the quarterbacks they had last year, even just based off of perception, let alone his his ability being improved, but not a crazy difference, but mainly just that the team believes in him that much more. That'll make a difference, but they're not going to be anything special. I, I don't think they're worth talking about as a – playoff team or a team that's going to be picking really high in the draft the bucks are exactly what you said their offense is incredibly talented and can score at will but it seems like byron Leftwich doesn't want them to score all the time then the defense the front seven still great they're going to get pressure they're going to be able to run people down and be stout in the run game but those dbs that overperformed last year might come back to earth a little bit and you know, the defense will be good, but nothing like the the bit of the juggernaut that we saw at the end of last year. To your point, just really quickly, this game was close. Tom Brady played one of the best games I've ever graded. Dak Prescott played a below average game, having more negative plays than positive plays, and still put up 28 or 29 or whatever the fuck. So coaching matters a lot. What if you have a near all-star team on offense? you can narrowly overcome it. Next game? It, definitely. I was just going to say the the three turnovers also help the Dallas offense a lot, giving them the ball more often and in a better position, uh, plus just not putting them in giant holes where they were put into one motion or another. But, yeah, let's go on to the next game. So we can go into the Steelers at the Bills. The Steelers ended up pulling it off and winning 23-16. to 16. This game was a fucking mess rife with turnovers that don't make a lot of sense and aren't very predictable, including on special teams. But Josh Allen was 2019 Josh Allen. He was fucking terrible. He had 20 inaccurate passes. That's a lot. 
he also fumbled, which he likes to do. But I don't think there's much to be taken from this game just yet. I want one more data point saying Josh Allen is the pumpkin you thought he was before I completely sell on him. And I think Pittsburgh still sucks. Yeah, again, I think this one will fall into more of the fluky category as the year goes on. I think Pittsburgh always is well set up to start hot because they just they have so much continuity there. They're always going to come out strong, especially while Ben's arm has the most juice it'll have in the season. But yeah, Josh Allen played horrible. I saw something the Steelers just didn't let him roll right, and I guess it impacted him. Uh, so I'm curious to see how that'll play out as the year goes on of if team, if that's a thing that greatly impacts the way he plays or gets into rhythm of just team shutting down the right side and keeping him in the pocket or pushed left. But we'll see as the year goes on. I don't take too much from it. Josh Allen, he's not this bad. I don't think he's as good as he was last year and he's probably somewhere in between. So I think they'll rebound. They'll get their team figured out a little bit. The Steelers, that front seven on the defense is insane. They are so good and just bring nonstop pressure. Josh Allen was running around a ton. The DBs can perform if they're not asked to do much, which is what they did. And then the offense was good enough that they were able to produce points, but that's not going to hold up. I still think they're going to be a you know nine-win team. All right, we can go on to the next game, which we did bet on. We mentioned briefly. The Vikings playing in Cincinnati, the Bengals winning in overtime, 27 to 24. Yeah, I graded Joe Burrow's play. He absolutely dotted that Andy Dalton line. He, he had more negative plays than positive plays, and he had a lot of really boring pedestrian plays. But somehow they ended up moving the ball and capitalized as well as you could ever hope for on the few positive plays he did have. I also just didn't expect Jamar Chase to be burning Rashad Breeland deep. I don't think Rashad Breeland has it. I think he's completely washed, and I don't think he starts in a couple weeks. Other than that, I thought our handicap was really good, and there was a significant portion of time where I really thought we had that bet won in overtime. Yeah, this was a game, you know, went back and forth. There's the, the comeback by the Vikings where, yeah, they had me convinced, you know, and I think they're going to pull it off. Granted, as soon as that thought entered my head, I then immediately jumped to, no, Kirk Cousins is going to have a game-crushing interception because he is Kirk Cousins. That and didn't amazing, happen. Amazingly, it was actually Dalvin Cook that fucked us. Right, which is not – would not have bet on that being a prop. However, yeah, the, the handicap was solid. I think we maybe overvalued the remaining speed of the Vikings' corners – because they did get beat up a little bit. I think the Bengals did a good job of getting the ball out quick and minimizing the, the offensive line. And they saw it in Pittsburgh last year. Of If you can just get the ball out really fast, you can still have a productive offense, even without much an offensive line. And Pittsburgh didn't even have a running game. The Bengals at least have Joe Mixon to go make something happen. So the Bengals, they, their offense can be effective, and we saw a bit of it this past week but again i think these are two average to below average teams that are gonna you know kind of be in that low end of the top tens to low teens in the uh, in the draft next year and that was kind of what we saw two two not very good teams but okay teams slug it out next game definitely so this was one that we used as an anchor game. We talked about a little bit as our, our safety game, the 49ers winning in Detroit 41 to 33. Aside from this being a fraudulent final number, just because of garbage time, what is it to say? Jason Verrett went down. So the 49ers do not have a secondary anymore, but really shocker, the lions lost. That's what they're going to do all year. Not much. Yeah, it, exactly. You know, the fraudulent final final score is perfect. This was not a close game. San Francisco is much better. It was close for a second, but Sam Fran remembered who they were and that talent gap showed San Fran's much better. Detroit's going to be one of, if not the worst team in the league this year. All right, we can go to our next game. I know this one hurts you a little bit, but the Seahawks beating the Colts 28 to 16. I threw a hundred bucks on it thinking there's a decent chance that Carson Wentz plays really well. In which case, I like my shot at this bet. And I think that Carson Wentz is probably a little better than most people think, especially in this context, you know, on this team with this coach. 
Turns out it doesn't matter. The Seahawks dominated. I'm going to give it one more week, but I think we might have to do some reevaluating on the Colts because whether it's the Wentz factor or their offensive line really just is that beat up, the Seahawks of all teams were getting pressure, and that's not good. Yeah, that that's a really big worry. The defense looked pretty rough as well. They gave up a lot of big plays, which is one of those, you know, their, their hallmarks. They're not supposed to give up big plays, which is just a bad sign. You know, week one, not drawing any huge conclusions from it, but a thing that they're supposedly have built up a lot in their defense and then their O-line that's supposed to be there protect Wentz and let them kind of run that, run Reich's offense and let them settle in. Both of those look like they might be weaknesses right now, and that's really scary for them. I don't think it's necessarily that the Seahawks are great. They're, you know, some team we should be bumping up in our rankings. I think they're a, a good team. And they they showed that they have that crazy deep, deep playability between DK and Lockett. And if their defense can be decent, they're going to be a good team that you have to worry about a little bit. We'll see how realistic that is moving forward. But yeah, definitely not not the Colts week and may not be their year. Another game that we bet on this one coming out positive was the Chargers holding out and winning 20 to 16 against Washington. This is one of those games where we need a little bit of fumble luck, but it feels like the better team won, the team with the better performance won, because the, the Chargers were almost crushed by one of those weird incompletion slash fumbles into the end zone where Herbert threw the ball as his arm is being hit. Turns out it was actually a fumble and a sure three points turns into the ball going the other way. Then Herbert throws a not good interception and gets bailed out by an immediate fumble by, I think it was Antonio Gibson. So Herbert played a great game. He had almost twice as many positive plays as negative plays. It was a true A performance. It looks like he's the real deal. It looks like he's going to be able to perform in stadiums with fans and a new offensive coordinator. And I think we got a nice little angle here. I think Washington's defense is a little overrated because they didn't play any quarterbacks last year. Yeah, the I agree. The, the game was a little wild. There needed to be some flukiness for it to come out as it did, but that was the right way for it to come out. The Chargers are a better team, and they were right to win. The Herbert's going to be really good. You're 100% right on that. I, I was a little worried that maybe, you know, he'll go through a sophomore slump, and it might hit a little bit later in the year as, you know, teams see a little bit more from the new offense, but he looks great. He looked incredible last year. So unless he shows major signs of falling off, he's a stud. And I'm excited to watch him play for hopefully the next 10, 15 years. The Chargers are going to be a good team. And I'm excited to see the direction they go, especially in the division they are, because some of those division games are going to be blast. As far as Washington, who knows with the difference between Fitzpatrick and Heineke, I don't think it'll be all that big of a difference. But the offense is definitely, it's going to be a little bit of a repeat of last year. That Their offense doesn't look that great. They should be a little bit better than last year. But you're still a quarterback away. And that's the biggest part for them. And that showed. You know, Herbert was able to make special plays and pull it out. And Washington didn't have anyone to do that. As far as the defense being overrated, I hesitate to jump to that right away. And that's because... I think the Chargers are going to be a really good offense. So even though, yeah, Washington didn't play great quarterbacks last year and Herbert still looked really good, they still held the Chargers to 20 points. And with the top flight offense, you hold them to 20 points, you should be pretty happy with that. So you could be right, but I'm not ready to jump to that yet. That's fair. That's fair. All right, so we can go to the next game. Another one that we talked about he's using as an anchor because we felt pretty safe about. And we were correct to think that the Panthers winning 19 to 14 against the Jets. I don't have very much to take away from this game. It was low scoring and generally unimpressive. Although I will say it seems that my hypothesis about Zach Wilson having a bumpy start to his NFL experience was at the very least true last week. And with a game coming up against the Patriots this week, there may be an angle based upon his continued struggles to adjust to the NFL game coming from independent BYU who was beating up on UMass. Yeah. And I think, so I, he started really rough. His stat line didn't turn out great, but I thought he played a lot better as the game went on. 
and he started turning out some decent plays and he settled in a little bit. So I think he, he might adjust quicker than you expect. Now playing against the Patriots is going to be really hard. And that's going to be a tough test for him where I, he'll probably make a lot of silly rookie mistakes. But in general, I don't know if he's going to struggle at quite the level you expected or called from the beginning. Just because in game, we already saw him improve against a pretty good defense in Carolina. So I don't know why it's indicative of him falling behind further or anything like that. Other than that, I kind of agree with you. Not a super interesting game. Uh, kind of what we expected. Low scoring. Neither offense is going to be that great. Joe Brady helps make a difference, helps put him in good position. And they're just a year further along in their development. Yeah. That said, breaking Sam Darnold is not the panacea that the Panthers need in order to become a contender. And I think the Jets are still going to struggle this year. It was Zach Wilson was better than I expected. I'll give you that. And it was encouraging to see that he got better throughout the game. But let's just say, I don't think they're going to be contending for that division. And I don't think contending for that division is going to be that impressive. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with you there. The Panthers are a solid team that is still without a quarterback. Darnold, you know, might improve throughout the year. I still think no matter what, he's not the answer. They're kind of just figuring things out this year and hoping they can draft the guy or get their way into the actual guy next year or soon. The Jets, yeah, their their division might not be all that tough, but I don't think there's all that much to say about them beyond that at this point. Next game? Definitely. So this is one that we bet on, and again, we were right to bet on, as we did the Broncos winning 27-13 to 13 against the Giants. We're getting into my late games. Yeah, this uh, this was impressive. First of all, dude, I think Pat Shermer grew some balls. He was surprisingly aggressive. Put throwing downfield, and like, granted, it's easier to throw downfield when you've got George Fant. Is it George or Noah? Noah. It's easier to be aggressive when you got Noah Fant, who's a freak athlete at tight end, outrunning safeties. This dude can run with cornerbacks. Oh, yeah, he's also gigantic and has great hands. So... You've got an elite caliber tight end running downfield. You've got Jerry Judy, who, thank God, his injury isn't that major because he is awesome. KJ Hamler was snagging balls, stealing them from DBs. And then you've got Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick to worry about, too. Melvin Gordon was apparently the fastest player in the NFL this past weekend, running 21 miles an hour. And Teddy Bridgewater didn't fuck up. In fact, he actually made some plays. Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's a sign of things to come, they're going to be a really tough team to play against. Granted, I think the Giants fucking suck. I agree, and I think this is a, a mix of both things coming true, is that the Broncos are a little bit better than everyone thinks they are, and the Giants are a little bit worse than everyone thinks they are. So when you get to your final distribution, you have a, a pretty sizable gap between the two leading to, yeah, a two-touchdown difference in this game. Another one that was just never in doubt. Green Bay and New Orleans, other than Aaron Rodgers, looked absolutely awful. And while I expect him to regress significantly from last year, that was a bridge too far. Additionally, their offensive line is even more banged up than it was coming into this game. And the Saints look completely revitalized by Sean Payton being able to open his full playbook up. Yeah, I think you you summarized it pretty good. This isn't the iteration of Rodgers we'll see throughout the year, but it might be a bit of just he's getting old and the team's losing people a little bit, and I don't think he really wants to be there. So they they might fall off a bit this year, but New Orleans also going to be really good. That defense is lethal, and if – Jameis can play like he did with stretching the field and hitting on those big throws with Sean Payton calling the plays in that O-line. They're going to have a pretty, pretty good offense as well. So they're going to be a fun team to watch and could be real dangerous. as We come down the stretch, but if you're ready, we can jump into another game from this week. Uh, one that was near and dear to my heart and may have taken a couple years off my life. The Browns losing 29 to 33 against the Chiefs. Personally, I blame Kevin, I blame Kevin Stefanski. He got really conservative in the second half, and the Browns were in complete control of the game. They started running the ball. Nick Chubb had an uncharacteristic fumble, and they just never put the ball in Baker's hands until the very end when tragedy struck. 
Yeah, this one, this was a tough one. Obviously, the the fumble and the punt snafu are ones that'll get pointed to. But I agree with you in that Stefanski got a little conservative and seemed like he was maybe trying to outthink himself a little bit. And against pretty much every team in the NFL, that won't kill you. But against the Chiefs, when they're playing like they were, two series that you stall out because you get conservative kill you. So I don't think anyone, I think the Browns actually played overall a really good game and I'm impressed. I think they're going to be really good this year, but when you play a team as good as Kansas city, it's tough to beat them and you got to play darn near near perfect to do it. They didn't, uh, they put Baker in that tough situation. They pulled out some nice plays I actually looked at the friend I was watching the game with before that last drive and went, this is exactly when he's going to throw a pick to lose the game. And then everyone on Twitter and in national headlines can then go, oh, look at Baker choking the game away when the moment was too big or the moment was too big for him. And they're going to completely forget about the fact that he played a near flawless game up to that point. And the throwaway, I think he should have just thrown it closer to the sideline. He didn't need to throw it that close to a receiver because then he actually had to throw it 10 yards downfield too. But he was trying to throw the ball away and he just got hit. And it was just an unfortunate play. The Browns are going to be really good. The Chiefs are going to be really good. I think it was a blast of a game to watch. Sad the Browns lost, but it was good for football. I will also say a couple of things. Having charted this game, one, Baker Mayfield played out of his mind until that final pick. And even considering that final pick, he still had 31% positive plays, only 17% negative plays. So he did really well. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes, I think he was born with a horseshoe up his ass, maybe a shamrock, maybe a rabbit's foot, but something fucking lucky and definitely Irish because he had three interceptable passes in this game. And if any of them are caught, Cleveland's 1-0. He threw one ball directly into the hands of a linebacker. Well, I think it was, it might have been JOK, but just went right through both of his hands. He threw another ball into the end zone off of his back foot that was a decent play by the defensive back, but he got, he got two hands on the ball. And finally, he threw a third one that was massively underthrown, and Tyreek Hill had to absolutely mug his defensive back in order to prevent an easy interception resulting in an offensive pass interference. But while offensive pass interference is nice, any one of these throws being picked is three to seven points off the board. And that's enough for the Browns to win. Yeah. And I think that's just the game when you play the chiefs, it's I, I equate it to the, the Steph Curry warriors when they were the splash brothers that you never feel safe when you're playing them, you can be up by three touchdowns. And it can be six minutes later and you're tied because they just always seem to pull out those crazy plays and the picks that they throw get dropped or overturned. And when they're on defense, they get the weird bounces and stuff. They get the turnovers. It's not some conspiracy. It just seems like that's how things happen right now. They're just they're just hot. And that's how it runs. Um, tough loss for the Browns excited to see how both teams do in the season and a rematch in the playoffs would be a blast. Although probably bad for my health from one game that was extremely close and exciting because both teams played so well to another game that was extremely close. And I guess exciting to some because both teams are so incompetent and just below average dolphins at Patriots. Yeah. So the dolphins ended up pulling this one out 17 to 16. I know you uh, you have more thoughts on this game than I do. It's kind of what we expected, though, that we talked about. It was a low-scoring game. Both defenses confusing uh, the young quarterbacks and trying to take advantage of it. They were both able to do it. Low-scoring game that was you know decided by a couple mistakes and should be indicative of both team seasons, I think. Yeah, I... We'll get to this a little bit later, but both quarterbacks were bad. Tua was as bad as ever. I gave him an F for the performance. A third of his plays were negative. 10% were positive. Almost 60% were extremely pedestrian. He threw two pickable balls. 
he those are not the one that was picked, which I counted as just a bad throwaway. So really, if you want to be a dick about it, Tua could have thrown three interceptable balls and still managed to win by scoring 17 points against the Patriots. Both of these teams are going to run the ball a lot. I don't think either of them are going to be particularly awesome at it. I think both teams are going to struggle mightily along the defensive fronts because neither of them have a defensive line worth a goddamn. The Dolphins have a really terrible offensive line. And again, I'm looking to bet against both of these teams any chance I get. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm higher on the Dolphins simply because I think all the speed that they have will help bail them out, whereas the Patriots don't have all that speed. But yeah, neither team, I think both are overrated right now. Um, they'll, be, they'll be solid teams, but definitely looking to bet against pa- the Patriots moving forward and we'll be looking for spots against the Dolphins. Then we can go to the final game of the week, which I know everyone has been waiting for, or final game of the year. Just going to start over. So we can go to the next game that I know everyone has been waiting for us to talk about. The Jaguars dropped a very fun game, obviously, to the Texans 37-21. to Remember how I said that this game would be very similar to a three-legged puppy? I think in the Jaguars' case, it was kind of like a one-eyed three-legged puppy. Yeah, I meant to ask you, so what exactly do you mean by that? Because when I think of three-legged puppy, I think like adorable, but a little sad. Yeah, no, it's adorable that these teams think they're NFL football teams, but it's also really sad watching them try to be NFL football teams. Okay, I see, I see what you mean, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that plays. Yeah, and then when they lose an eye, it's like kind of gross on top of being pathetic and sad. Yeah, I think you you've summed it up really well. I don't have anything extra to add. Thought this game was going to be chaos. It was kind of chaos. Um, both teams are going to be horrible. Watch Houston win more games with Tyrod Taylor this year than Deshaun Watson. Do I believe that? No, but I really want it. That that would be hilarious just for the the memes themselves. Quarter of a way worth their weight in gold. But now we can jump to the Sunday night game that you have some interesting perspective on, even with an outcome you maybe didn't want, but the Bears losing to the Rams 14 to 34. Okay. First of all, this was my first live football game since 2001. In 2001, I was five. Therefore, this is my first real NFL football game. And holy shit, it was fucking awesome. I actually really loved it. And yes, I had my little notepad and was charting plays. I didn't do a great job because I did get wrapped up in the atmosphere, but you can ask my girlfriend. I was calling them out as I saw them in real time. However, I'm not upset about this game, even though the Bears got trounced, because this is kind of what I expected. Matt Stafford looked incredible. And in that offense with an actually competent head coach, it's the kind of thing that it just brings you peace to watch. Because finally, we have an elite head coach with an elite quarterback. I don't think we have that in the rest of the NFL, and I don't think we have for a long time. And it's so dangerous and it's so fun. Meanwhile, on the other end, Andy Dalton had that one inexplicable, terrible fucking interception in the end zone. I'm not going to try to get into it because it's less it's less logical than Matt Nagy's. It takes three or four years for my offense to really click comment. So when, when the Bears do things that just make absolutely no fucking sense, we hold our breath and hope they don't happen again. And that's all. Um, other than that, the Bears moved the ball really well on a very good defense. And with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, terrible interception notwithstanding, the Bears were down by six points and legitimately had a chance to win the game. Okay, so I agree with you that the Rams are a really good team. And there was there were parts where the game was close and looked competitive. But that game just felt bad. It never felt like the Bears were in it. And I'm scared that that's going to be the reality for the bears in a lot of games, they're going to win. They're going to win a good amount of games just because they'll play a lot of, you know, average and below average bad teams that they'll match up well against. But I just feel like anytime they play a good team, this is going to be the outcome every time. And if they do, you know, end up making it to the playoffs again, it's going to be groundhog day. Like it was with Trubisky. I think Dalton, is a very different type of player and he can have a a very effective offense if he limits and doesn't have those disastrous, silly turnovers like he did because I, you know, change the momentum of the game. If you go score, whatever, but as current as it looks like they currently are, 
I'm scared the Bears are going to be just the same thing they have been for, I don't know, however many decades of a good defense with an offense that can do something, but not enough. Honestly, after the performance. So a lot of people are saying that this is it. The Bears defense is washed. It's done. I think that's kind of bullshit because I think the Rams are going to make a lot of teams question their defensive secondaries. Like they're, I watched Matt Stafford heave a 60-yard bomb to Cooper Cup, who was 10 yards deeper than the deep safeties, simply because they didn't think that Stafford could get the ball there. He can hit any inch of the field from anywhere. So the Rams are going to make a lot of people look really fucking stupid. And I think that this upcoming week will be a much better test of the Bears' worth. I think we'll know a That's lot. fair. Because I, I do agree the Rams are going to make a lot of people look silly. I still worry about that offense. but. You're right that the Bengals this week will be a much better yardstick for them because if they can go and beat up on those kind of like average-ish middle-of-the-pack teams, then they're going to be in a solid position. Nagy might buy himself another year, and there's some reason for optimism. But if they go out they can't move the ball or can't score against the Bengals, then it's going to get really bad. I think that the Bears are definitely going to win against the Bengals, but... The real measure to me is going to be if they can't score 28 points on this Bengals team, okay, press the panic button. And maybe the Justin Fields clamoring has some merit. But okay. We so jump 28 off points. when we come to it. 28 points is probably, I mean, you know, act of God notwithstanding, but a, they need to be able to put up about 28 points on this team. All right. And I know we'll, we'll get into it more tomorrow, but yeah, that was – the Bears are going to be interesting to see because I think this first couple of weeks is going to tell us everything we need to know about them. I think a lot of teams there, you got to see how they perform over the course of the year, the first 10 weeks before you have a true idea of what they're going to look like. I think the Bears, we know pretty quickly. And so these these upcoming games will be important. But should we, should we, can, we mention Monday Night Football? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I agree. Um, especially because it's coming out on Tuesday. That's the other thing I'm trying to think of. It's like, Comes out on Tuesday, so it makes yeah. sense it would be in there. Plus, it'll seem impressive that we got the Monday night stuff in and release it on Tuesday. Yeah. Show them, show them that quick turnaround, speedy producer. Um, it's going to be a late night. We can go ahead into the final game of week one. The Raiders pulling off the stunner in overtime against the Ravens. I know this game finished right before the recording. We're both a little jazzed about it to start off. Woot, woot. This was an absolute terrifying roller coaster of a game. It's like you got on a kiddie roller coaster that you expected to be like pretty mild, kind of fun, whatever. And then your seatbelt broke in half like the second you came to the first big drop and you're holding on for dear fucking life. This was so for 50 years. Why was this game so stressful for you, Joe? I didn't. We didn't talk about betting on this game. Actually, when we did talk about it, we talked about betting on the Ravens. We did. And then the entire Ravens secondary fell into shambles. Jimmy Smith got injured. He was questionable. He didn't play. And Marcus Peters tore his ACL. The Ravens are trotting in street free agent running backs who haven't played in a couple of years named Le'Veon Bell. I get, I get that he played with the Jets, but like, did he? Did he? He didn't. So He was in the Chiefs most recently. Exactly. And he did not play. Anyhow. I just felt like it was too much chaos for the Ravens. And I do think that Lamar Jackson is wildly overrated. And I also know that no matter what, and I also know that no matter what happens, the Raiders are going to be able to put up 24 to 30 points on any average to below average defense. I think the Ravens are an average defense, but they're old ass edge rushers. They're decimated secondary and linebackers who don't move the needle for me. So I threw a half unit on the Raiders getting three and a half. And then Marcus Mariota came in and had a 30-yard run to start the game. And I convinced myself for the next 58 minutes that this would be when the Raiders finally put him in. But I was wrong. And instead, we got 58 minutes of just absolutely fucking terrible quarterbacking on both sides, followed by like five minutes of gameplay worth of Derek Carr being incredible. Yeah, he had the strangest game. And I think that's just what Derek Carr might be is that he does have the tools to be really great. And he occasionally is really great. There were some of those throws he was making where he's just dropping them in buckets deep downfield 
putting putting balls in position for his playmakers to go make stuff happen. But then he's got a little bit of the Kirk Cousins to him where it seems like in big moments, he just does like the worst thing you can do, whether it's being taking sacks or turnovers or whatever, where he just gets himself into those situations. And I think we got a dose of all of that tonight. Um, just it finished with him making one of the, the special plays. Yeah, he had four turnover-worthy plays in this game and still came out with a C-minus because he also had two elite throws and three great throws, which is a lot of really, really impressive plays. I, uh, I actually broke down when I was charting. I broke it down by when these plays happened. And with two minutes left in the game, the Ravens are driving and Derek Carr is at a straight up F fucking terrible game, twice as many negative plays as positive plays. And then from that moment on, when he had the two minute tying drive and the overtime plays, Derek Carr had a positive play a third of the time he touched the ball. He had two missed throws. He had three positive throws and two pedestrian throws. He was moving around the pocket like a savant. I don't know what happened, but I'm glad. The Raiders won twice in overtime today. Yeah, that was, that was another thing that was just wild in general, that they made him come back out. I mean, he was clearly short when they showed it on the replay, yep. but I thought they were just going to say screw it because everyone, it seemed like guys were already starting to go to the locker room. Um, but I'm glad we got a, a little bit more, a little bit more football, a little more chaos, because that is one thing I will never complain about especially when it's the the last game we'll get for a few days, which is during football season, the longest stretch we go and can feel like an eternity. So I'm pumped with how that game turned out. Browns aren't the only 0-1 team in the AFC North. Go Raiders. Speaking of which, the Bears are actually in first place in the NFC North, despite being 0-1. Not a joke. <laughs> I know. I, I saw that, too. All right, so if that wraps up all the uh, the games from the last week, we can jump into – so we can go ahead and jump into the rookie report card where we look at some of the performances from notable rookie quarterbacks around the league and talk about any general observations we had. So you want to go ahead and start us off, Joe? I'll start it and end it real quick. They were all pretty bad. They probably should have been expected to be pretty bad. I don't really care about any of it. Because it's week one and they're rookies. That's your rookie. Awesome. Well, that wraps up the first iteration of in-season rookie report card. Very exciting. And then finally, we can go into any big national narratives from this week. We're going to just talk about anything we're seeing or hearing from major national media outlets and just our takes on them. So, Joe, I know there's one that you've been hinting at and been frothing at the mouth to talk about. Take us away. I was making a grievous mistake today listening to Mike Lombardi's podcast where he pretends he has sources and also pretends that he watches football games. And that's being generous because the alternative is that he does watch football games and simply has no fucking idea what's happening. But he spoke on, one, how the Browns-Chiefs game is exactly why you can't pay Baker Mayfield if you're the Browns, to which I say, you fucking idiot. Lombardi's second point was that Mac Jones was, and I quote, spectacular. He was everything that Bill Belichick could want in a quarterback, which is weird because one would assume that Bill Belichick wants a quarterback who can like make a positive play every once in a while. That's a little bit facetious because Mac Jones did have four great throws and one good throw, but he also had 10 bad throws and 25 pedestrian ones. The dude lived up to his billing as transcending nothing to a T. And that's if you leave out the first play of the game where he got some pressure and decided to promptly throw the ball directly backwards. Like it was, it was like a chest pass directly backwards. Now, now I, will, I will grant you, Mac Jones looked polished compared to the other quarterbacks, which is a super low bar. And I will grant Patriots fans that Mac Jones looked good enough to win some football games. But and, and like, yes, great, very, very low bar should be a given. It was better than what Cam Newton would have done, but he wasn't good. And it didn't, he didn't show me anything where I was like, oh, I didn't think he could do that. Like, yeah, he, he hit a couple of nice wheel routes and corner routes that were like 30 yards downfield. Zippity-doo-dah, that's not enough. So I agree with you in general that he's not going to be enough, but I do think it's important that we give him credit when he makes those nice throws. I think overall you're right. I mean, he, he wasn't special. 
He, but he did make those nice throws. And those are the biggest things that I worry about with him is that whether he can make those big plays, because, you know, for the most part, he's going to be solid and accurate in the short field. It's just whether he can stretch you enough, whether he can stretch you enough downfield that you can't just play everyone within 25 yards of the line of scrimmage uh, for the entire play. Which is weird because the Dolphins didn't really crowd the line of scrimmage and force him to go deep like I expected them to. I, I generally thought that this was basically just a test of who can be the more bland, subpar football team on all levels. And the Patriots were a little unlucky to lose this game with a last-second fumble, but they're also a little lucky that Mac Jones didn't chess pass it to a defensive end because that's a touchdown. They're also a little bit lucky that they played against Tua Tagovailoa. Generally, I'm looking at this Mac Jones performance not to – I'm not looking to downgrade him because he was so bad. I'm simply looking to fade this exuberance because I think that people just want to see Belichick as this godlike authority. They want to see Belichick draft a quarterback in the first round and say, ha, Belichick drafted him in the first round, so he's going to be good because Belichick is always good. They want to ignore the fact that Belichick has never been a good coach or GM when his quarterback is not the greatest of all time. And this kind of Belichick veneration is really attractive to a lot of people in the market, both who bet large sums of money because they're old heads and just casual fans. So, and Lord, do we know that the Patriots have some casual fans who will throw some money around? I yeah, think- you, you hit the nail on the head that I think this doesn't change our view of Mac, but it does change our view of Patriots moving forward and how people view them. Because one, Mac played well and people want to, wanted view the patriots as you know the the evil empire that can just keep churning people out and go take these you know athletically limited quarterbacks and turn them into superstars and always figure it out despite going the non-traditional route but yeah it we belichick hasn't been a great coach when he doesn't have the greatest quarterback to ever play football and the the amount of deference that we give him nationally is kind of silly we'll be able to profit off of it i was gonna say you know what we do with silly things (laughs) exactly so we'll be able to profit off of it but it's definitely a thing that people go to and i think it's probably just because it's easy yeah they're the patriots were so good for so long and there's still going to be a team that you have to play and you have to earn your win against but at least while they have Mac at quarterback they're never going to be that team again but it's easy to just say yeah the Patriots Bill he's got it figured out you give him a year or two and then it's going to be back to having to get through the Patriots every year if you want to do anything yeah did did you see any angles any uh, narratives out there floating about that you wanted to discuss or Uh, the only one in this obviously because I pay more attention to the Browns and we touched on it a little bit but I did see entirely too much talk about Baker not playing well or not being it because he wasn't able to pull it out at the end of that game. You know, he was incredible. Yes, I would love to see him take one of those games where it's high pressure against a a team that you really want the win against, like the Ravens last year in that crazy game or Kansas City either time where you've had a chance to go pull it off and win, but they're not able to do it. And I think that is a a next step for him. But I've seen so many people talk about, oh, this is just proof that Baker doesn't have it. He's not a guy that you can rely on. He'll He'll be solid, but never good enough. And that's just ridiculous. Baker was absurd. He was, he, he was great at the end of last year. And I was scared, like, oh, what if he looks, you know, he regressed a little bit. He has some rust to shake off and then people are going to talk him. No, he was better than he was last year. They they still had the limited offense with no OBJ and they put Anthony Schwartz out there and he produced purely because Baker put balls in places that he couldn't not catch them. My only concern is that it's going to really suck hearing all of these Baker, these slanderous Baker takes and then not being able to ever bet on them actionably because people will just say, oh, but the Browns roster is so stacked. It doesn't matter. Exactly. It takes any any vindication out of it besides just saying, hey, Baker's really good. And then being able to 
I don't know, when the Browns are, are winning games and he's putting up crazy stats and highlights, you can go throw that at him. But even that doesn't get all the way through. So it's just matter. always going to be a battle. Unless Baker puts up like five straight seasons of MVP caliber play, people are always going to say he's a bust. But that's just the life we live. It's the and, burden uh, of knowing the truth. <laughs> but exactly. that's why but that's why we went three of five against the number doing super contest style picking that's why we made you 3.8 units against the spread if you followed our bets on the last podcast and fuck that's why we get to feel so superior over people like zeke yoder exactly and god i gotta say it was super nice to start it off with a positive week and be able to uh come out and say we told you so a little bit all right i think that wraps it for us definitely it was a right. successful week one a lot of really fun football and some uh, very good bets yeah all right this is joe for alex signing off just begging you once again to please bet on football games asta <laughs>